0: we're talking about the uk general election with brexit austerity and climate change all causing heated debates this could be a pivotal election as such we're going to be talking about what this vote means to us as social researchers how our topics affect how we understand the issues at stake and what influence this has on how we engage with politics
1: so what do you two see as the key issues of this general election i think for me the key this isn't necessarily the same for all members of the public, but for me, the key issue is around austerity and the related policies and having an opportunity not only to end that, but also to um, have something new. Um, but I don't necessarily know if that is true for everyone, but for me, it's the issues of the last decade um, with austerity policies and... Uh, wage stagnation and also like benefit freezes and cuts and cuts to public services all of those things are what we all have in common and they're the things that really a new government or any government is in control over to be able to change so they they should be the issue that is key
2: um you know austerity nhs all those things are super important but this is the last chance we've got to stop the planet burning so i'm going to say climate and Mm -hmm. environment
0: yes well so for me I mean I research austerity so that is always going to be at the forefront of my mind I think it has caused so much damage over the last nine years that it really has to change now or we're going to see really serious consequences for a lot of people but of course you're right Ben I do agree that climate change is also completely crucial and maybe it hasn't started to affect us in that to that great extent at the moment but it is affecting a lot of people across the world and it will start to affect us soon
1: yeah I agree on both these points um and, you know, have been involved in a lot of the climate stuff of the last year. And I think that is it is very timely and we are on, like, a countdown. Um, but to some extent, the issue which we've not yet mentioned, but has almost got in the way of both making a difference on the climate and also in terms of, like, day-to-day running of UK society has been Brexit. And it, it clearly does play a role to some people still. Um, but I think both the climate and austerity is a way of cutting through that. Because people that, whether you're both... Whether you re- remain or a leave voter, they're things which affect you, and so it's it's something which can unite people. But I don't know to what extent you think that's happening yet. But you know, Brexit is obviously an issue for some people more so than the other two two things.
2: This election is crazy. Like, we've got actual substantive issues, and we've got a hell of a lot of bullshit that we're <laughs> trying to cut through to get to those issues. <laughs> uh, the, the level of discourse is just atrocious. Smears everywhere, lies. You know, we can rehash this if we want, but I'm sure we don't need to for our listeners. And I think, uh, you know, change of government would go some way to, like, putting that behind us, I hope.
0: I I just don't see how likely a Labour government is, a majority government, and so if we end up with a coalition, I mean, that will definitely bring changes, but would it bring the right changes? I'm just not sure, because you end up with more ways of infighting, more opportunities for it, less clear-cut, um, decisions in parliament that sort of thing so I think although I personally desperately want to see the back of a conservative government I do think there are potential pitfalls of what we might get instead as well.
1: Mm. I think for me um, linking to like what are the issues of the election it I definitely see an opportunity in this general election for um, not only different policies but a different. Um, for the last sort of 30, 40 years, the, the the overall kind of whatever party's been in power, the kind of dominant logic they've been using has been around neoliberal reform and about privatisation and, um, you know, making cuts and various ways of introducing efficiencies and all these sorts of things. And we could talk about that on a different occasion. But that whatever happens, there's definitely a break of that. So all parties are investing more in this election in their manifestos than they have done previously Um, so that is a real opportunity whatever I think Um, but yeah definitely there's an opportunity there but you're right if there isn't a majority government for example for Labour then they're not going to find it very easy to do any of the policies that are in the manifesto even if they do have a majority, I would still say they're going to find it difficult because um, they're not a united party and there's many people that are invested in not seeing things like the rail industry nationalised and broadband nationalised and various aspects of their policy are not going to just be straightforward even if they had a majority. so It's just the start. Yeah, it's just the start.
0: I agree, but I do also to put a more positive note on it. I I would so much rather see a Labour government that's not doing everything it says in its manifesto than Mm. any of the other options.
2: (laughs) I mean, I'm not a pollster, but it's going to be at best Labour-SNP, right?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think so. Because Nicola Sturgeon has said basically said that she would support Labour, so yeah, maybe not as a coalition, but at least as a minority government. so.
2: So I sense that we're all feeling quite. Down and pessimistic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a week to go, a week today.
1: I'm actually not, um, not because that's not true, but I think, yes, I agree. Much rather, ha- absolutely, much rather have a Labour government or a Labour government SNP thing that isn't necessarily achieving the manifesto. But the diff- the thing, like, I guess, the factor that's going to make the biggest difference, whatever, is people, and that's where for me, like, I don't invest it all in what the outcome of the election is. Because even if there were, like, even if there was a sunking Corbyn majority, you still need to have a mobilised people behind that to kind of defend and fight for that manifesto to be implemented. And if it was, if there was that attempts to not implement it, to like come out in defence of it, um, and the same thing, even if it's like a kind of minority government or a kind of cabinet that actually, if there is massive popular support if people get behind that that could still be implemented um and equally even if the the conservatives got in like all of the issues of the contradictions of that party haven't been resolved so to me the factor in any outcome is people but obviously we're affected by the emotions and we might well feel set back and defeated and that's a real kind of tangible force I suppose but it's not inevitable whatever so
0: yeah so I've made up my mind today that if there's an outcome on next friday that i really just you know i <laughs> devastated about then i'm going to use that to motivate me to actually get out and do a lot more than i ever used to do because i've i've i mean unlike you guys i've not never really been very politically active which is ironic because my phd is in <laughs> political participation <laughs> um but i think now is the time to do it and i really wish i had started sooner but that is definitely going to be the kick for me and i think it might well be for other people as well
2: yeah i'm going to have to take the weekend to recover, though.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> spend time with my
2: family and watch sci-fi. Enough.
1: I'm visiting my nan, but I might I might go out into Swansea City Centre and see who I meet. <laughs> I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if I ask you
0: the next question, so for all of us, this is our first general election as a PhD student. Um, so, has this Has the experience of being a PhD student changed how you are experiencing the election?
2: Um, Yes. You know, I I feel like we've all got um, reputations to uphold. So uh, whereas in 2015, 2017 even, and I think I was just starting my master's or just before that, uh, I would be more emotionally engaged in arguments. I would maybe not check my facts. Uh, But obviously, as social researchers, we're taught to be uh, rigorous in our data collection and analysis and I think that really uh, from a professional reputation and from a sort of, um, I've become a social researcher, I'm much more aware that I need to be on it with the, the analysis and the facts and obviously I, ha- I actually have an analysis now broadly Marxist um, whereas before I didn't really understand that so just looking at the situation and, and actually I'm, I'm looking at a lot of discourses as well although I'd probably need to know a bit more about that but recognising the Dominant discourses in our society and um, seeing what damage they're doing, it makes me more frustrated and more able to combat them, I suppose, in discussions and arguments. Um, yeah, and my Twitter until very recently was quite reserved, and but now I've just like a week to go, I'm just just gone for it. Retweeted Jeremy Corbyn every, every half hour. <laughs>
1: Um, I think for me actually what's more difficult is that 2015-2017 I was um, working, um, I actually took the day off work on both election day afters so I could stay up and like watch it and not be like really sleepy at work but um, I couldn't get involved in campaigning around the election in the same way because I was like working a full time job. Um, Whereas what I found probably most challenging now is that as PhD students, we generally have a lot of control over our time. And there's been a big pressure to be doing lots and lots of sort of campaigning activities. So I'm not a member of the Labour Party, but I do get involved in um, like socialist party stuff and socialist students. And so there's a lot of uh, opportunities to be doing campaign stalls, to be doing... um, work with the student groups to try and get them to be like registered to vote and all these things and so if you have a limit on your time if you're like working nine to five there's any you can only maybe do that on a saturday whereas like these last few months um it's been harder to balance that for me so that's how being a phd student in particular has been has changed my relationship with the election and maybe i feel more responsible for its outcome than i would have done if i was working
0: yeah i think there's a sense that being a PhD student gives you a lot of space to take the time to do that sort of thing if you want to and that kind of comes with a level of responsibility like you feel like you should be and that's been weighing really heavy on me lately and I can't say that I've really done anything as a result of that I've tried I've tried to share my research in different ways and mostly not succeeded and it's I found it's really tough actually because I I feel like I've I feel like I've almost got a burden of knowledge that it's like I have this information and I feel a responsibility to share it with people because it's so fundamental at this time because it's about austerity and it's about political participation. There could not be a more pertinent event for me than this general election. And so I'm, I feel like I'm failing because I'm not doing more to share what I am learning. And mm-hmm. it's, it's actually, I'm, I'm determined to try and do something in the next week maybe this is the start of it I was going to say you record a podcast yeah yeah, this is great this is a, it's a good thing to do um, and I'm going to advertise it as much as possible so thank you for listening <laughs> um, and actually if, if you don't mind I'll, I just wanted to say a bit about my research actually I was going to say this I think, is the time so I've, I've been looking at how austerity affects political participation so I've been talking to people across the country about their experiences of austerity and how that varies according to their incomes and their other personal circumstances. And it's been pretty clear that the people who are the most vulnerable, be they on low incomes or uh, living with disabilities or whatever it is they're struggling with, they're the ones who have been um, you know, seriously affected by austerity. And the people who are maybe a bit more like me, who are middle class, comfortably you know comfortable finances and are um, not relying on public services are not affected and basically a lot of us don't really have a clue about what it's like to be living in these times where uh, benefits are being cut and services are being closed and actually most of us are doing very little um we're not going out and protesting we're not the main thing that people seem to be telling me they're doing is signing petitions online, and I mean, frankly, I'm, and a lot of the people I've spoken to as well are very sceptical about what that achieves. But some people feel that they don't really know what else to do, and when I've asked people if it affects how they see the general election, a lot of people have said that it doesn't really influence how they vote, um, and that's that's pretty shocking to me. For me, that is the thing. I mean, I've always been. Left-wing. I've always wanted, you know, I've either voted Labour or I've voted tactically to support Labour. But I, there's no way I could vote any other way now because of how much damage both the Conservative Party and the Liberal Democrats did, in you know, in government and are still doing. So I, I think that one of the crucial things for me is that, like you were saying with Ben, with rhetoric, that I've been listening to people talk about austerity. I start by asking them what they understand by that word. And so many people repeat the words that David Cameron and George Osborne said. Tightening our belts, we're all in it together. All these phrases that are basically meaningless and actually completely misrepresent what it is. We're not all in it together. There are a very select group of people who are very vulnerable, who are being really hurt by it, and the rest of us are just driving through potholes. So <laughs> it's it's deeply, deeply unfair. And I I feel... Completely hopeless about how to help people. I've walked away from interviews where people have told me they can't afford to eat properly, where they can't afford new clothes, they can't afford to get a haircut, um, they don't go out because they can't afford to, and also they don't have the support that they need for their disabilities or whatever it might be because they, they can't afford a carer and the government's not providing them with one. They don't have a blue badge for their car anymore, they used to, they were given one for life and now it's been taken away. They, these sorts of situations that are just dire. And it then, but these people, understandably, do not have the energy to go out and take part because it's too hard and it feels too hopeless and it feels like nothing is going to change. And I can't blame them for that. And I, it's very hard to tell people that anything will change because it's tough. But this is our chance. This is when things can actually be different if, if we get a Labour government.
2: <laughs> wow.
1: Theme. <Beam. laughs> <laughs> Sorry that was a I'm bit fleek. Sure. <laughs> no, it's great.
2: Uh, I was thinking about the, the Labour Party message of the 95... was it? The 95%? We're all, and then the 5% of higher earners will pay a bit more tax. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. When
2: they've been not doing the message you just said about this is a small group of people really suffering. Mm-hmm. They've included the middle classes in their message. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's a useful messaging? Or do you think they should be driving home the actual horrendous circumstances for some a few people
0: i don't know (laughs) that's the honest answer it's really hard i think that fundamentally people are quite selfish and i think people don't know anyone who is struggling if i think about the middle class people i've spoken to there's a few do-gooders like us who go out and you know try and talk to people and try and understand um and try and change things but there's a lot of people who are just in their bubbles where they talk to people who are in the same situation as them. When they say, we're tightening our belts or we're all in it together, they think that means everyone's waiting a bit longer to see their GP, not that there's people who can't afford to eat. So it, I, I, I think if, if Labour could really put forward this image of how, how people are struggling in a really powerful way, then yes, I think that would make a difference. But to put it, put it clearly enough so that people actually listen is is really tough, and actually, it may be that it's better to just appeal to people's self-interest. Frankly.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's the decision they've made. And I think about, um, is it Ken Loach? Mm. His films and the Dispatches show yeah. the other day. They're doing a good job of highlighting the real some of the real problems. I suppose so. Maybe there's a different role for different things.
1: Mm. And I think, like where where you mentioned like there's there is a a much smaller group than everyone you know that are really adversely affected there's also at the other side of that a very small group that have profited massively since the financial crisis and who these policies are even if these policies aren't directly benefiting they're benefiting in the sense that by making um, the most the poorest pay there have been avoided you know higher tax and they've had tax breaks and all that kind of stuff and so I suppose what the current labour messaging highlights is the extent to which there's a small pocket of people that have benefited but I suppose they could be doing more to also highlight the the other side of that um in terms of the two extremes but um but then also like I suppose in various ways they're not the same but lot in most fields and people have seen like their general conditions of living and employment fall but obviously if you're starting from a point of that being very bad in the first place like we're not saying that 10 years ago like the welfare state system was like brilliant then that's obviously going to have had a massive impact whereas in other areas it's been a pay freeze they've seen like like in the university sector we've seen pay reduced by 20 percent but they were relatively well-paid jobs so people are struggling but it's from a different point that they were starting from
0: so I think one other point about rhetoric as well is that the um, Labour have a bit of an uphill battle fighting the scroungers rhetoric because um, the Conservatives and also the Liberal Demo- Democrats really talked about cutting benefits as a as a good thing because you're cutting out all the money that's wasted on people that can't be bothered to go to work or um, you know don't deserve it for some reason and that has become so common in our society to just accept that people on benefits are somehow lazy or undeserving um, which is completely outrageous and the proportion of people that are committing benefit fraud is so tiny people consistently wildly overestimate how much it happens that I think Labour to be honest will really struggle to to persuade people that it's people on benefits who deserve the help because they unfortunately the coalition government and the Tories in particular have done such a good job of making us think that they don't deserve it.
1: Mm. There's quite a bit of overlap with that rhetoric in my research. So I um, used to work in child protection um, advocacy and my research explores how austerity has impacted on um, how people manage in those those jobs. Um, And I won't go into my research now, but one aspect that is similar is that there's a whole child protection system is framed around the notion of Um, both parental harm but also individual responsibility and so it's all about um, looking at you know the harm that maybe a parent or a carer poses to their child which are significant but in terms of the long-term picture or in long-term decline in comparison with for example the harms of poverty the harms of growing up poor the heart those sorts of things and and so it's like a conversation about responsibility as well and you know if there is a a child or a family and is it um, their fault that you know they're growing up in a family uh, where their needs aren't being met or is that society's fault that these sorts of families and conditions exist and um, I'm not explaining this very well but it, these are the sorts of debates going on and really we've changed from um, and it was quite proactive during the early coalition years as well of yeah parental failure family failing and it being a long-term thing and not something that could be resolved and um, rather than something which we're all responsible for and could do something about and a and move from needs to risk so it's all about like the risk of like failing at school rather than like the need for a good education that can help you get on and all of that is part of this sort of rhetoric as well
0: mm-hmm. okay so if we just move on now um so how does your research affect
1: how you understand and engage with the general election um, I think something I'm, I'm struggling with um, is that I similarly to you, I've spent a lot of time um, both being in the public sector and, and seeing either through the people I'm working with kind of eyes or also experiencing like cuts to my own services and, and stuff like that um, and then now researching all of that and then researching some of the discourses and all these things so I've got all of this awareness about kind of how rubbish things are and um, But we're early in our career and I don't know the right platform to kind of have that academic audience for it. And also it feels quite wrong to use it as an academic thing. Like I just did a seminar today and I'm talking about it um, in terms of my theory and my research in order to get on in my career and get a degree out of this when it's happening to real people right now. And so managing all those things for me is quite difficult. And I don't, I don't know to what extent in my researcher head hat then I'm actually deep doing that. And like things like Twitter and those places are really good for having these debates, but I don't know how much I'm being a strong enough advocate in those spaces for what needs to happen. Um, but as I said, I'm an activist, so I think probably what I end up doing is kind of using bits of my social research in my activism and bits of my activism in my social research, but I do actually separate them quite a lot and I'm not very sure how to bridge them, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm
2: engaging with um, precarity and um, the sort of wider problems in, in the workforce. From an academic perspective, I'm trying to weave it into the existing debates and fitting in and getting on in academia. But like you both say, yeah, this is real stuff happening. I mean, the people I'm researching are quite, um, they're, they're okay. They're fine. They're sort of middle class. Um, but they're still, they're still, you know, living, they're still experiencing precarity and difficulty in their lives. And, um, like you be, I think I will use my academic resources for my activism.
1: it's like important to highlight that like certain people are not as disadvantaged as others one thing that is kind of becoming more universal is that sense of precarity which is what you're researching which takes away some of the security and stability which doesn't necessarily mean you're financially disadvantaged it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not able to sort of like feed yourself but it is increasing the general stress everyone is under working Mm. hours that are unmanageable not having sick pay or holiday or having uncertainty about things like being able to have a house have a family and to some extent they are privileged things because not everyone could ever think about those things but there are also things which that's not always been the case and there's been certain careers and professions where you could rely on being quite comfortable that now you can't um because of the kind of conditions that have taken place and and to me like attack to anyone is like an injury to everyone because it's lowering all of our well-being and we see a rise in you know stress mental health burnout all these things which makes current conditions un- like unlivable although that yeah there are a difference in how we're experiencing it that's where i'd say we're all in it together <laughs> we're all right. in the misery together
2: yeah and i mean um it's not unreasonable to want to have a family and a house and a career in the job that you love which is what i'm looking at in the digital and creative industries so yeah it, people experience it differently but it's valid um so how is being a social researcher affecting my election is that what you're saying mm-hmm. um maybe i should be more maybe we should all be more distinct between our th- those two roles of activist and academic or maybe we should absolutely not and we should just go in and use our social research for social justice
0: yeah this is a question i've been debating for a while because i've been doing a training about public engagement and i've i've had this sort of Dilemma Because my work is inherently political, it is overtly critical of the Conservative Party. There's just no way I can avoid that being a fundamental part of what I do. And I'm, I'm not doing my research to try and persuade people to vote one way or the other, but I don't know how to talk to people about it in an academic way that's, I was going to say, objective. Mm. a lot of social scientists would not like that word I don't really like that word but you know that is somehow professional um, and is not being an activist but then I think maybe like you're saying actually I don't need to separate those two and the reason I'm doing this research is for activist reasons so maybe that's
2: okay You've got a wealth of expertise and knowledge that you you can share professionally Mm -hmm. that that has a point, has a conclusion
1: Yeah I'd say it's the other way around actually like um, it's not that I would say that if you're really engaged in certain social research at the moment that should make you an activist Mm -hmm. because rather than it being you know like lefties taking over academia for their own good like um, you are researching reality and realities for people that are not uh, in dispute and that experience like you've said you haven't been someone who's necessarily been very active active although you have been on the left and that's now making you want to be active so actually is that direction of travel, I suppose. Mm-hmm.
2: Um. I've got a bugbear from people on Twitter who you might know, Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, certain elements, and they don't mind criticising other people on Twitter, so I'm going to criticise them, naming their names. <laughs> this complete detachment from the political debate reality, and just talking about process, polls, all this sort of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Just have an opinion.
0: No, right. I know their job
2: is polling and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. But... It's just, it just more poisoning of the debate. It's just, it just make, I don't know, I think this is, this
0: is the line that we tread all the time, and it's so difficult, because this is... I've, in the past, I've always erred on the side of being those people. I've always tried to um, talk about politics in very general terms and not to say, vote Labour, <laughs> and to say, vote, <laughs> which is a bit different, and sort of give arguments why political participation is important, but that's not the same as saying that the Tories are evil um, but you know it's, it, it's, it, it, I understand why these people do that but I also think that you're right I think we actually probably have a moral responsibility to do more than just talk about things in a, a sort of arm's length
1: way mm. but it, it comes down to why do why do people vote why would you vote and I know that's what their jobs are to look at <laughs> but just telling people to vote okay some people will do that and to some extent just telling people things are bad okay but people know it's bad you have to have something you're voting for and I think that's where the difficulty of people just saying oh just vote and register and be involved in the debate is is okay that's that's nice and but having an understanding of what the issues are and how it could be resolved how it could be different that's what's going to get people out because you need to be you need to be voting for something and to do that you need to know what the ideas are you need to know what's on the table um and I suppose that's something I try and do but I think is very difficult when you're navigating the kind of academic you especially if you sit within a polit- politics department because that isn't how everyone else is approaching it um and people keep their kind of political views separate to their work because it somehow seen to be you know bias and objective all these things so you know that's difficult for us yeah
2: on that note do you think it's harder for you in politics because we're in social sociology social policy think it's harder for you to have an opinion, and how does that affect your reputation within the department? Because I would say that people I know who have very strong left opinions keep quiet for some reason.
0: Yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I haven't really thought about it much before because I've oh, fuck, I'm wrecking my career. <laughs> <laughs> I so I, I did do a philosophy degree before this, but I wasn't very political at that point, and so I. I definitely had my views but I didn't really, you know, do much with them and I didn't I don't remember talking to anyone else about them. So the reason I'm saying that is because I don't well, I don't have the context of another department basically. So I don't know what it's like to be a sociologist. But from what I know from you and from other people I do think it is a very different environment. Ironically being in a politics department that people are not very political. There's there's some people where I kind of have a have a sense of where they sit on the left-right spectrum, but I couldn't tell you how they vote or... And, they, yeah, it's really interesting, actually, that people in politics don't engage in activism in the same way. And I, I can't explain that to you, but it's, I think it's definitely... Because, um, like, sociologists are famous for being left-wing and, you know, getting arrested for this, that, and the other. <laughs> so why are we not doing that in politics?
2: I think... Um, I could be talking shit here, but the people in politics and economics have a... The way that they... The tools that they use, so the, the stats and all that. Are maybe maybe it's like a positivist thing. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say. I
1: think I think the philosophy behind it makes a difference. Is it also where, like, you know, if you study something as a as an interesting topic, you detach yourself slightly from that. So um, clearly, we're all living in in a political environment, and therefore we have an individual relationship to politics. But if you're studying politics, then potentially you sort of start to try and take an ob- Especially if you're using kind of more positivist methods, you start to see yourself as objective to that and distant from that, and your involvement in that process is not considered. Whereas people that do a lot of qualitative research, you're always thinking about your role in relation to the research, and how you, your biases, your reflexive, your reflexivity, in that you can't separate yourself from what it is that you're studying. And so we take that head on, whereas perhaps in other fields, people kind of. Um, they can see it as I can be really interested as like a kind of political nerd about this thing and not see myself as implicit and part of that system. Yeah, mm. I think
2: that's what it is. That, is. that is what I think. Thank you for telling me what I think.
1: <laughs> You're very <no laughs> welcome.
2: <laughs> did it better than I did. Um,
0: so, final question. Um, how are you going to vote in this election?
2: Well, I uh, live in a very safe Tory seat. Um and the Lib Dems keep sending me leaflets to say vote tactically, vote for us, but I will never vote for the Lib Dems or the Tories, so I'm going to vote Labour.
1: So I actually live in Itchen constituency, which for those that know is one of the most marginal seats. And for that reason, we've had a lot of publicity and a lot of media coverage and everything else this election. And so it's currently held by a Conservative MP with 30 votes. I will be voting labor um, and I haven't always done that and I've voted differently f- throughout um, my voting career I don't know if I've got a career of voting <laughs> but to me it's absolutely clear like that is the the best option at the moment and um, a very progressive manifesto in comparison to anything we've had for a number of years and the best hope of um really changing the situation and the interests of most people so i'll be doing that but as i said whatever the result um to some extent it doesn't really change it for me um i'm going to be out either way continuing to campaign either to get that election that manifesto uh implemented or um against whatever government is established if they're not going to do that
0: yeah, so I live in a Labour seat, um, so I'll definitely be voting Labour because I only want to strengthen that. Um, I do so with some reluctance because there's certain aspects of the Labour Party at the moment that I'm not so happy with, but I think they are by far the best party we have at the moment, uh, probably forever. And I, I you know, I, I really, really want them to win. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this general election special. If you have any questions or want to share your views, we'd love to hear from you at universe underscore social on Twitter or at social.universe.outlook.com if you prefer email. Most importantly, on December the 12th, make sure you go out and vote for Labour.